Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down in San Diego, California, headlined by a top-flight bantamweight bout. Marlon Vera, Dominic Cruz, and um, this is kind of a weird card. Not in that it's terrible. Um, is it's it got, not? I mean, it's got fights on it I like. It's it it's just it's a really weirdly ordered fights. card, and there's a lot of filler. Fights. How how much work is the s at the end of that word doing? Um. Okay. Look. I, I mean, mm-hmm. there are uh, shouldn't take that long to count to three. <laughs> there are five fights on this card that I am, I think, wow. are really decent, are, are interesting to me, even if not all of them are well booked. You're a generous man. Okay, you know what? I, I suppose I would also include. I'm I'm, I'm assuming, I'm assuming uh, Angela Hill, Lupita Godinez is on yep, there. Yep. Okay, I would also include that. So four. I'll give it four. All right, that's fair. That's fine. And but we were just talking about this. The usually we get some agreement on bout order going in. I know I, I've talked about being an old man who likes to use the Wikipedia bout bout order because it's nice and simple, easy to look at. Uh-huh. And you like the topology uh, bout order because you're one of those vaping, scooter-riding misanthropes who, That's right. you know... It's really just because literally every fighter has a page I can click to to check yeah. their record. Yeah, which there's sense in that. I, I get it. Mm-hmm. And then I we, always, we, we go in, and we've taken now to going in and comparing that to the ESPN Fight Center bout order because ESPN is the official UFC partner... And they are going to, they tend to have the right bout order. Uh huh. And so I compare it to that. And then we pick which card is closer and seems, you know, like easier to read based on that. Cause I'm not going to read off that ESPN page. It sucks. Yeah. Um, it's got a bunch of like flash animations and stuff yeah. happening. It's not flash anymore, is it? But it's something. No. But, None of these three things that we've checked agree at all, even a little bit, on what the bout order is for this card. Uh-huh. We're just going to use the topology bout order because at least it is a it has all the fights listed on it, which ESPN or which the wiki one doesn't, and it has an order that makes sense, which the ESPN and wiki one don't. So yeah. that's what we're going to go with, and. Uh, Having done so, we still lead off with an undeniable. No, no matter how how you feel, the main event is undeniably good, right? Oh, the main event rocks. Yeah, actually, the more I looked at it, the more fascinated I became. Yeah, um, and it's one of those where I'm 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 so excited about it now. It it could very easily disappoint me by being over very quickly mm-hmm. or being very one sided one way or the other. Like it, uh, it has that kind of thing where there there are potential advantages on either side, but I, I think it's a fantastic fight. That's why, in part, I think the undercard looks so disappointing. But I think it what it is, Zane, is you're um you're an adaptive sort, you know. 
I am. It's true. You're the you're you're, uh, you're already living the desert lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Took I'm, one card to acclimatize. Now you're basically the you're, you're the Freeman from Dune. I'm yeah. I'm I'm the I'm more. I'm the pug in Dune. Like <laughs> once once a mighty wolf. Now you know adapted right. through a multi multi multitude of generations into like a house a house dog. That's you know. right. I thought I forgot your. Uh, of course, your touchstone for the Dune universe would be the David Lynch film. <laughs> uh, I was gonna make you know framing references. You're looking at this card through the visor of your still suit, etc., cetera, mm-hmm. etc. Cetera, but you went straight for the pug. Um, well, it's, I, I actually it's one of the things I really like. Not to get too far off on a tangent. One of the things I really like about the David Lynch film is like you look at that and you're like, what the hell is this? Oh, it's and then great. you realize that it's like. Actually, that's a really it, it's stupid on the one hand, but it's also it's a really fun metaphor for like it's thematically pertinent to the story. It is for sure. You know, a lot of that story is about like uh, the sort of like uh, um, you know, how, yeah, like how like Muslim rulers would have like the three generations rule. Like mm-hmm. the first generation are brutal conquerors, the second generation are great administrators, and the third generation of rulers are decadent and will be overthrown by the next first generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of what Dune's about. Yeah, so I, I actually really like that. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, uh, anyway, uh, once <laughs> as is often the case, strong evidence of the quality of these cards. I'll point <laughs> out that we're talking about David Lynch's Dune. Yes. But uh, yeah, I have yet to uh, reach the place where I'm acclimatized. Maybe by next week, because next week is the worst pay per view of the year. So <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna be here next week. I'll, well, I'll be on Lucky the show. You. I'll be ready for the show. Um, I'm, I'm, I didn't take the time to escape from that. So and then you're we'll, getting the we'll be here. To, I'll be here to share your misery for that, but I won't actually be working. Right. It'll be feigned misery, though. You know, you won't actually have to watch it exactly. live. Exactly. Like, yeah, wow. Yeah. You're right, Connor. This is really horrible. <laughs> sucks to be you <laughs> yeah so anyway yeah. it's it's not the worst card i've ever seen but i've seen some pretty bad cards in my time mm-hmm. uh thank god for this main event yes the main event is awesome because one of the things that people still forget about dominic cruz and it's you know we we finally got to see dominic cruz just get straight out beat yeah. twice Back to back, even if they were five, four years apart, mm-hmm. it it changed the Dominic Cruz vision and legacy somewhat. I see discussions on the internet's all the time now about like, oh man, this dude would just knock Dominic Cruz out. Dominic Cruz is going to get like ripped apart by this guy or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then what we've seen in the fights since then, even even if they're closer fights. Well, I mean, I wouldn't even say they're closer fights than Dominic Cruz's dad. People don't remember what, like, the height of Dominic Cruz's Johnson, Faber, Benavidez yeah, yeah. fighting. He had some wild fights. They were, and they were always, like, he always looked like he was doing so much work and way further ahead than he was. They yeah. were always really close, really scraped by fights where you were like, okay, it's hard for me not to give you every round or three out of five rounds, but Joe Benavidez probably has the greatest record of losing very close fights to all time greats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Dominic Cruz is like, you know, a third of those fights. And he's not as fast as he used to be, but the thing that we've no. seen 
against Casey Kenny and even against Pedro Munoz is that he can still just confound people. They still just don't really know what they're looking at with him. Yeah. And if you're not ready to absolutely just walk through him without a care in the world for what he's doing, if you're not faster than him, then he's still incredibly difficult to figure out. And that is going to make any Dominic Cruz fight interesting against somebody who hasn't fought him before. And I mean, Marlon Vera, the basis of his game is not speed. No. Marlon Vera, great. No, he's got quick strikes. In fact, I think I think yeah. there is an element of shocking speed to his game, but mm-hmm. it's not like he's like all over the cage covering every square inch of the uh, of the canvas. Yeah, if you're looking at Henry Cejudo and Cody Garbrandt, right, 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 right. What, who beat Dominic Cruz, the reasoning you can see pretty quick, qu- quickly and clearly there is like they were as fast or faster. Yeah, yeah. Vera has a some particular, you know quick strikes and things, but nothing, nothing like that. He's not just that sort of general explosiveness. Yeah. yeah I'll be honest. I mean, I think, um, this period of Cruz's career cemented almost more than anything else. What a great fighter he really is. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I, I consider post prime, um, longevity. Yeah. To be an incredibly high mark if you're talking about like, you know, legendary status, you know, all time great status. Those are the kind of things that stand out a lot to me when you're looking back at a person's career once it's finally over. The losses, I mean, it's inevitable. Yeah. You're going to fall off at some point. You're going to meet the next generation, whatever. But yeah, Cruz is still incredibly crafty. He's still in phenomenal shape. I mean, he has always had unbelievably good cardio. Yep. Um, that hasn't changed. He's and he's adapted, I think, to the new aspects of his style, and we'll we'll have to talk about that. But like, Cruz is less of a wrestler now, mm-hmm. or less reliant on his wrestling, and a little more of like a very modern MMA, overwhelming volume striker. Yep. Um, so actually, I'll, I guess I'll talk about that first because this is this is something I obviously I I had to try to figure out to think about this matchup. Is Dominic Cruz going to be able to out-wrestle Cheeto Vera? Uh, yeah. cer- certainly helped Jose Aldo to beat him. It yeah, has... certainly something that Vera has always been... It's, it's always been a way to get to Vera. Yeah. Um, and it was also effective at spots in... Um, um, no, I think it was Wooly G. Boren. Frank Yeager did get him down, but there was a fight not too long ago where Cheeto Vera was just like held down for like, no, no, it was Noelan Hernandez. Oh yeah. Noelan Hernandez as recent as, as July of 2019 took Cheeto down and controlled him for like four minutes. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's an avenue you have to look at. And we, we've, we've talked several times in the recent past about how Dominic Cruz is. Yeah. His, his game is less wrestling dependent. He's less of a wrestler. Uh-huh. And it occurred to me, actually, watching his recent fights, that he he actually goes for about as many takedowns as he always has. I mean, he's he's not hitting his yeah. peak like seventeen takedowns or whatever it was against like Demetrius Johnson. Um, but he's still routinely going for like seven plus per fight. The difference is they don't work anymore. Yeah, he doesn't have the speed he used to. Yeah, and I think I think it's half that Dominic Cruz 
he'll these things are still wired in you know that mm-hmm. shift to the to the takedown out of his boxing game um but I think half it's that he, he'll get in on the shot and feel that it's not there, and then he'll just disengage yeah. and go on to the next thing, which has always been one of the great strengths of Dominic Cruz as a fighter is the way he connects all of his various ideas together. There's, a bit of, there's I think, a bit of Carlos Condit in Cruz yeah. where like he, he, has a whole, he has all these progressions that he's moving through, where it's just like, okay, well, yeah. I'm going to step in like this. What did I see? Okay, I'll do this. What? I'm going to try, you know, go back and I'll do this and this this time. And then I'll, yeah. I'll do this, 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 and this this time. And he's just got a bunch of chains that he's going through all the time at his own weird, funky rhythm. Yeah. And if something doesn't work, he, he's he's a little less sold on the idea of having to go all the way through it than Condit was. Because with Condit, it's always sort of like, you know, okay, I'm going to throw these five things. Oh, you, you hit me really hard in the middle of them? Well, I'll still throw all five and then I'll reset and right. try again. And Cruz is a little bit more like, oh, I got to the first step and that didn't work. I'll step back and I'll reassess and we'll try a new. Yeah, new he's step. more proactively, like flexible even than a yeah. guy like Condit. Yeah, he he has what a uh, what the great Archie Moore called escapology. Mm-hmm. He's a he builds bridges between one idea and the next, one position and the next. There's always like three possible routes that he can go. Um, and yeah, building those sort of chains of bridges is like what makes him great even today. Mm-hmm. But the wrestling chain that those roots have have been closed down. I think part of it is, yeah, he it's, he's clearly not as fast. And Cruz's particular type of takedown was always a like exceedingly well timed, almost instantaneous finish. Yeah, duck under the punch, boom, you're on your ass. Um, you know, uh, collide in the clinch. Oop, you have a weak angle, instant knee tap. Like, yeah. These are the the classic Dominic Cruz takedowns. He doesn't, and, and I think that's the reason why I kind of overlooked how many he actually has still been going for. Because when Dominic Cruz misses a takedown, he doesn't end up stalled out working on a double against the cage. Yeah, he, he doesn't allow that to happen. It's either the instantaneous shot or he's on to the next idea. Yep, you can see he he's gone for eighteen takedowns in his last two fights and hit three of them. But there's never a moment where you can think of Dominic Cruz just like hanging on somebody's right. leg. You know. Which is kind of the reason I think it's people have always um, not thought of Cruz as a wrestler as much as he is. Yeah, because yeah, you just don't see the grindy wrestler stuff. It's he's a slick wrestler, mm-hmm. um, and that is no longer as possible. I, I think the other part of it though is that like everyone's just a really good wrestler now. Yeah, the- and, Ch- and Chito Vera's got to be the worst that he will have fought yeah. in quite some time. Yeah, no. I'm going all the way back to Takeo Mizugaki. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be, and um, yeah. So like, it's it's no surprise it, whether it's it's an old Dominic Cruz or not. It shouldn't be a surprise that you're not hitting a bunch of takedowns on Pedro Munoz. Mm-hmm. Guy's a phenomenal wrestler. Henry Cejudo, Cody Garbrandt, like even guys who are really just focused more on the defensive side tremendously good wrestlers. Um, and I don't think Cheeto Vera is that level of wrestler. No, especially not early. I mean, everything for Cheeto, nothing yeah. for Cheeto works that well early in the right. round one is almost always a giveaway round, whether he spends it on his back or just in a high guard, eating shots, whatever. Yeah. It's he, he's always cold in the first round. Yeah. 
So, so that's a very interesting avenue that we we might see sort of the return of Cruz getting stuff done with his wrestling. Um, the other factor, though, that might make it more difficult, and this this was definitely going to be a thing as the fight goes on, because if Dominic thinks this is going to be a fight where he has a clear stamina advantage, I don't think that's the case. Yeah, Cheeto does not seem to get tired. No. He doesn't. He doesn't get hurt. He has somehow. I don't know how I do this, Zane. You know, I I, ha- I have like a favorite fighter. I'm like, this guy's wonky and weird. And then somehow I look away and I look back and he's turned into Yoel Romero. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now he's this like dysfunctional killer. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm like, none of this style makes any sense. But it's somehow very, very effective. And one of the reasons for that is that Cheeto is big. Yeah. And this may also make wrestling more difficult. And if half of... Cruz's lack of wrestling dominance these days is just the fact that he's getting older, that he's had, you know, four knee replacements per leg. Yeah. Um, and I think that definitely is a factor that he's not as fast, that he can't time them as well. Then just Cheeto being bigger is still going to be a serious impediment running into a big, strong guy. Cause Dominic Cruz has always been a huge bantamweight. He was yeah. way ahead of the like modern, fighter weight cutting in his day when he was fighting Joe Benavidez. And I mean, half the dudes he beat in his prime went to flyweight as soon as it became available in the UFC. Yeah. Um, many of them, in fact, Jorgensen, Johnson, Benavidez, uh, Dillashaw started as a flyweight. Like, um, so no, he didn't. I think I'm confusing him with John Dodson, who started as a bantamweight and then went to fly. Yeah, I'm I, not I, sure Jorgensen ever dropped, even though he should have, considering... I think Jorgensen did. Only 5-5. Five, five. I think Jorgensen uh, did. I might be wrong. But. You know, you're right. He did. He yeah. he fought Zach Makovsky at flyweight and then had tried to... Had, you're right. He had, he had several flyweight bouts. I forgot yeah. about that period of his career. So a ton of the guys Cruz beat. He was just... A, a weight class bigger than them. Yeah. And Cheeto Vera is a very modern fighter in that. I don't know that he cuts a huge amount of weight. Maybe he does, but he is big. Yeah. Um, he's, he's the same height as Cruz and he's going to have two and a half inches of reach on him. And I think he's got longer legs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so this may still be a problem. And if the wrestling doesn't work for Cruz, then I think his, his, the thing he's been turning to more and more, that sort of volume striking, um, the aggressive striking, is actually going to not work particularly well against Cheeto. I mean, we just saw Rob Font try it, and we all thought that, we right. both thought that that would be a really big success for Font, that he could lean on volume, pour it on Vera and early. It, it kind of was. It kind of was. He he landed, he threw like 100 strikes in the first round and du- double or tripled up on Vera for volume. Yeah. But it he's so tough and durable that it's just... You know, it's like it's like trying to trying to fill up a bowl, but the bowl is a sieve, and you're just pouring water into it yeah. constantly, and you never there's no effect. You're never gaining any traction by right throwing a bunch of strikes at, at Cheeto Vera. Yeah, and I think Cheeto's defense is perfectly rudimentary, but also kind of perfectly suited to Cruz's style of punching, mm-hmm. like just throwing on the earmuffs and hunkering down. Cruz is throwing winging slapping hooks at you like they're just going to bounce off of the side of your guard yeah and um and uh yeah like cheetos yoel romero now (laughs) it's it's crazy but like he's 
the thing that really stood out in the Font fight and in several of his recent fights is he he's achieved he's he's surpassed Lionheart Cheeto. Mm-hmm. He's moved past the point where he needs like the therapy session. He has to like discover, you know, the the hero within him and come back and win the fight. He's now like he's been through that so many times that he's eerily calm under fire. Yeah. Yeah. You can hit him with huge clean shots. And this is a man who has every confidence that you are not going to knock him out. You're not even going to stun him. He's going to block what he needs to block. He'll have to take a few. And all the while, his eyes are open. He's watching you. And like Yoel Romero, he may not be putting together, like, like seizing all this initiative and setting things up the way most fighters do. But he's so chill that he is seeing the openings you're leaving. Yeah. And he's waiting for a good opportunity to uh, to pounce on one. And, uh, yeah, he's just like a crazy, fearless guy. Yes, he, he really is. That's one of the big things that stood to me watching tape for this, again, um, was realizing just how, like, watching that font fight. And I'm yeah. watching it, it's just like, my God, Cheeto stands flat-footed. Like, yeah. this is a dude who has absolutely zero qualms whatsoever about sitting right down in front of his opponent mm-hmm. and just waiting to see what he can do mm-hmm. and waiting to see what comes after him. And maybe he eats a three-punch combo from Rob Font, but he's just going to go right back to being flat-footed right in front of him. And you then see like the power differential that he and Font could land with when they were yeah. both in the pocket. Yeah. And suddenly it seems huge for Marlon Vera in a way that I, you know, I, I don't think most of us would have expected that no. Vera just comes off suddenly as a much bigger striker because he's he's never he, he's not bouncing around on his toes trying to avoid the next thing. He's just sitting right there waiting and yeah, waiting and, to and, wind up on something. And he doesn't ha- doesn't ap- have that appearance of explosiveness like you said, but his punches come fast and hard, and so yeah. do his so do his kicks. He's a very uh, he's got the hand speed where he maybe lacks in full body speed. Mm-hmm. And he, he's also got really weird timing. Like I, w- I was watching Cheeto's jab in that Rob Font fight. Mm-hmm. Um, it made me think of, you ever, you ever, I mean, you've watched some Canelo Alvarez fights. Mm-hmm. You think of Canelo's jab. He, he does this thing where he's sort of most, most fighters like Dominic Cruz jabs. He'll, um, you know, be outside range get to that ideal distance where he's just a short step away and then he'll take the short step and then he'll he'll land his jab yeah come into range with the jab cheeto sort of just drifts into range before firing the jab but deceptively Mm -hmm. he'll kind of rock onto his front foot and you're like okay he's moving into range what's he gonna do he's definitely not gonna jab he's just like put all of his weight on his front foot and then he surprises you it just quickly resets his feet and pops you with it it's just very quick and well-timed and the left hook comes off of the exact same load up. That's actually one yeah. the first shot that he hurt Rob Font with. Um, he had landed many of those jabs and continued to land them. But that left hook looked exactly the same. And Font did not react to it in time. These are, by the way, the two shots that Pedro Munoz very nearly destroyed Dominic Cruz with in the first round of their fight. Yep. Ran him into a jab and then a corralling left hook along the fence. So... Um, you add into that all the attritional damage that Cheeto brings to bear, all of the low kicks, the body shots, um, the fact that 
he is much, much better these days at getting up from takedowns than he used to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that Frankie Edgar fight is any uh, any um, strong evidence, then he's even gotten better since that fight with Noel and Hernandez. Mm-hmm. Uh, more insistent on getting back to his feet. And Dominic Cruz, even if he does use his wrestling, has not often been... I mean, this would be a great time to try it, but he's not often been of really like lockdown positional grapple. No, he, he, he's not a submission threat. No. And when he opts to strike, he can, he plays, I, I would say he kind of plays the team out, you know, in a way that I'm sure he would hate. Don't to let compared. Dominic hear you say that. Yeah. yeah. He kind of plays the team alpha male. Yeah. A wrestling game, which is just like, okay, I took you down. I'm going to open up and try to land some big shots. And if that lets you up, that's fine. I can always take you down again. Yeah. And he's got a style built on his ability to just keep going and going and keep, keep mixing up his various ideas and keep you on the back foot, even if you're coming forward. Uh But uh, yeah, I got to pick Cheeto. I just think at this point, it's, it's, I'm not confident. I I really think this could be, Cheeto looks better than ever and scarier than ever, but he's got such a weirdly dysfunctional game, and Cruz is such a clever, uh, experienced fighter. But if five I don't... rounds really does feel like a lot of time for Marlon Vera to adjust. Yeah, exactly. It's a, and it's a lot of time for something to break. Like it's a lot yeah. of time for him to hurt an increasingly fragile Cruz. It's a lot of time for him to wear his legs down. God knows it's a lot of time for just an improbable injury at Cruz's age in 25 minutes. That's always a possibility. Yeah. I mean, that I am, if Cruz has not had a series of broken hands at this point, I'm yeah, surprised right. and feel like one should be coming because the way he actually throws his, his power shots when he throws them, it is just like swinging an arm out there yeah, yeah. and clubbing somebody with a punch. How's he not just located a shoulder? I mean, my yeah. God. Things so. are going to start falling off at some point. Uh, things that haven't already fallen off eight times, like his yeah. Um, so. so yeah, I, I think there's. A, I think Cruz is an extremely. I don't even know if he's an underdog. I assume he is. I think he's an extremely live dog, and there are a lot of avenues for a crafty, experienced fighter I to mean, poke holes in Cheeto Vera's game. But I'm I'm essentially making a youth pick here. Yeah, in some ways, both these men are going to get exactly the opportunity. And they're gonna, I think both these guys are going to get exactly the first round they want, which is make, what makes this really hard to pick, is because Dominic Cruz is likely, if Cheeto Vera wants to come out a little flat in the first round. He's going to do it whether he wants to or not. <laughs> yeah, he's going to do it whether he wants to or not. Dominic is going to... Like there is an evolving volume game, but there's still a lot of just like bounce, reset, bounce, reset, yeah. bounce, reset in Cruz's game. A lot of what he would like to do is just feel out the distance, feel out the timing, you know, start to confound his opponent with his rhythm yeah. and get them second guessing themselves for his movement. And he'll likely get a perfect op, but at the same time, he'll get a perfect opportunity to do that because Vera's going to come out flat. Yeah. Like, Vera's probably going to come out, even if he presses Cruz, he will not be pressing him effectively. He will be walking himself into strikes. Yeah, yeah. And just covering and waiting and overthinking things early on because he wants to be, you know, keyed in and sharp every round after that. 
So there is a real question here of does Vera work himself out of the fight trying to figure Dominic Cruz out early? Or does Dominic Cruz also not even make Vera pay for the times when he's going to be at his worst? Yeah. But I think pro- probably the way to, to beat Cheeto, like Jose Aldo didn't like go toe to toe with him. Mm-mm. He just like annoyed him. Yeah. Like, oh, you want to have a trade? No. Yeah. Uh, and Dominic Cruz can do that, man. Yeah. Yeah. He can be a very out of it. Yeah. Extremely perplexing and frustrating and just not letting you. I, I just think there's if, if it wasn't for like the kicks and like the sort of implacability. But yeah, Cheeto can be frustrated. That's the way you beat these like fearless fighters. Like that was the way you beat John Lineker back in the day. It's still the way you beat John Lineker, I suppose, is like. You just like make him mad and you just don't let him have the fight he wants to have. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, you're not going to put a scare in him, but you're going to make him fight worse because he's, he's pissed off and not thinking clearly. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. Yeah. I, I'm going <sighs> to. It's tough because it's, it's not like Marlon Vera can't lose you know like the even the rob font fight for me felt like a bit of a revelation of like vera just wading through exactly a bad kind of fight and Mm -hmm. just through sheer solid collected continuous action and reaction on his part yeah started hurting Font enough to make the fight so that Font couldn't win it. Font couldn't couldn't throw himself at Vera often enough or hard enough to turn the tide of just getting hurt all the time. Yeah. But we've, you know, that loss to Jose Aldo was not that long ago. That loss to Song Yadong was yeah. not that long ago. Although it would be fair. I mean, that was essentially a 50-50 fight. Yeah, but, they, but even if it's essentially a 50-50 fight with Dominic Cruz... Those are not fights that Dominic Cruz tends to lose. It's true. You know, that's what we were saying. Like, classic Dominic Cruz, he had a lot of 50-50 fights in his career. And they're all fights where you're like, well, I just, I guess I got to give him the round. Yeah, I mean, even I, you know, made, made a a case against him winning the Dillashaw fight, but you can still see why it happens. He just, mm-hmm. he makes it look so impressive and so slick and like considered like you just have a feeling everything's going according to plan and it may be even easier than usual to create that impression against cheeto like yeah you just have that feeling like you did after every romero fight about cheeto now like is that reproducible yeah yeah what's the process (laughs) can you do that again (sighs) i man for the hell of it i'll go with dominic cruz i think sure i just i have there's a little part of me that has the same feeling that I had with the uh, um, his last fight against um, Pedro Munoz, mm-hmm. where it's just like, has he seen, you know, for Munoz, like, has he seen this before? Like, mm-hmm. has he, does he, has he actually figured out how to, to deal with this kind of fight before? Because Cruz, he spent so much time injured and on the sidelines a lot of what he's doing still is new to people like they just even if they've gone and watched his fights they're not seeing him in action all the time oh yeah 
Lacruz's style is still incredibly yeah. unique. Like the it's still super unique. The things he brought to the I general concepts that he was kind of a pioneer in in MMA. Although obviously those are all things that you know changing angle and fainting and all of this has been in boxing forever. But it, it it's not it's Dominic Cruz approach to those ideas it's, yeah. it's he's got a really weird idiosyncratic style of movement and, and i'm already i'm already second guessing my pick but i'll, I'll yeah. for the hell of it for the, for the fun of it i'm gonna go with cruz just to be a little bit confounding to vera and for vera's game because he's flat-footed yeah to really revolve around having to be able to catch dominic cruz when dominic cruz steps in you're yeah. not going to track him down from the outside. I think the thing that concerns me is that if the if the wrestling doesn't work, it pretty yeah. much the go to adjustment for Cruz these days has been to their to then more and more try to overwhelm his opponent with strikes, and I just don't think that's going to work against Cheeto. Yeah, you can you can do that to Pedro, you know, like yeah, even though they they look kind of similar in their defensive options, like it's just it's much easier to kind of shut Pedro out for like five six shots at a time. And to make him second guess, like he started that fight having a very clear idea of how to beat Dominic Cruz. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of drifted out of a good game plan. Yep. Um, so, Cruz helped him. I mean, he gave him yeah. a push, but Cheeto doesn't have a game plan. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> he's just coming in there like, let's see what happens. Oh, you want to trade? I'll figure this out. All right. So. Vera is the favorite, opened at minus 155, dropped down to minus 180, he's currently down at minus 225. Cruz opened at plus 135, jumped up to plus 155, currently plus 183. All right, that brings us to a featherweight bout, David Onama, Nate Landwehr. And um, this is going to be a hell of a mess. Mm -hmm. Just a real messy scrap of a fight. Land where his I think he's trying to do some adapting. Um, two knockout losses in the UFC are probably, you know, have probably created a paradigm shift for Landwehr out there. Yeah. I mean, I think he's also just a little mental, so I don't know that how far the paradigm can shift. But um that fight he had against Ludovic Klein was definitely marked by a lot more kicking and caution at range with bursts of wading into the pocket and getting into the clinch and trying to yeah. push Klein around. A more blitzy kind of performance, yeah. Yeah, rather than the classic sort of like sit down in front of you and just try to overwhelm an opponent with pure grit and determination. Yeah. For classic version of Nate Landwehr. There's still some of that, but it was a more selective version. Mm -hmm. uh, and David Onama is still kind mm -hmm. of a mm -hmm. uh, wonderful nonstop mess. Like he really is a mess. And it's it's cool because like there are it, it's like a mess that it, it's like a you know what it is. He's like the metallic Terminator. <laughs> The, the the liquid metal terminator. Uh-huh. The T where I was shocked by that you don't know the correct number for that terminator. It's a T one thousand, same. T one thousand. Okay. Well I I've seen Terminator. It's one of those movies that I've seen like three times, maybe over thirty years. Yeah. Like I, I it just never clicked that well with me. I need to go rewatch them, but that's a yeah. whole different story. T T two isn't as good as everyone thinks. You know why? The kid's really annoying. 
I know. I that's why I haven't gone back to it. Yeah, the kid sucks. Um, but he's he's T one thousand. He's a bit T one thousand. Where uh-huh. like there's he, he solidifies into some really cool form and like some really great moments where you're like, wow, that you know, on that fighty idiot scared Armfield when he stopped the shot from Armfield in round two and ended up on top. You're like suddenly like, wow. Yeah, that's really good top control and ground ground and pound and submission hunting. Mm-hmm. And at times on the feet, he'll be like throw a one two and a body kick or a low kick or something like wow, that's yeah. really sharp, really powerful, really collected. And then there's this like liquid metal state in between where you're like that's just a puddle. <laughs> you know, I was not following the comparison, but okay, it was <laughs> yeah, I get it. There are like these these cool moments he can transition to where he looks like a very complete, well schooled fighter. Absolutely. And then there's just a puddle state in between them. Yeah, Phil Where, and I. Phil and I were like, he's not a Lloyd Irvin fighter, is he? No, he's a he, he's a um, right. He's James, James Krause. But we were having yeah. that discussion because it is there is that feeling, right? Like he came in, you're like, oh my god, this guy yeah. is a talent and surprisingly skilled. I yeah. wonder where he can go. And it, granted, it hasn't been a long time since that yeah. uh, fight with Mason Jones. It's only but, been a year. Yeah. But so far, where he's gone is absolutely nowhere new. And, and, yeah. and arguably, now with like the confidence that he can get these wins, he kind of looks a little less ordered than in that mm-hmm. loss. Like, he, he's, he's, he's just, there's not a lot of subtlety to, to no. David Onama. There is no subtlety. There is something looks really good and works perfectly in that moment. And then right. every, everything around it is just void for a few seconds defensively he can get hit really hard he can overswing wildly and get countered he can't you know he can get like taken down and put into a mad scramble where he's just going to potentially give up a position or put himself in danger just through sheer will to try to get back to his feet like it's just it's messy there and it it snaps into form every now and then. We're like, wow, that was, you know, that was perfect. And then it just slides away from perfection immediately. And then mm-hmm. snaps back and slides away. And it's it's weird. I mean, credit to him. He can keep that kind of chaotic energy going for seemingly ever. Mm-hmm. Like that, that Mason Jones fight he had, that was a short notice bout. And that was ridiculous. Unbelievable. Yeah. And every fight he's had since just seems to be the same sort of like, Oh, I started, I, he starts at a hundred and then he just keeps upping the chaos factor yeah. every step along the way. And I kind of think that that'll work against Nate Landwehr. Yeah. We've seen Landwehr get knocked out twice now. Uh, still hasn't happened to David Onama. And Despite uh, his best efforts. Yeah, in spite of his best efforts. And Landwehr himself is not a first-round finisher. He's not a. He's not really a power striker. He's not... He he, he shocks the shit out of people. He's got a yeah. lot of surprising craft on the counter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's more than powerful enough. But when he's not countering, everything he's doing is very obvious. And so yeah. even when he lands hard, people tend to be able to eat them. And, and I get the feeling, like I said, after that Klein fight, after that Klein fight and after the Arosa loss and the Burns loss, that he's checking himself now. Yeah. And that might have a good end result somewhere out there in the future. Mm-hmm. 
but it also just feels a bit like him taking away some of the things that made him, that brought him here, which was mm-hmm. his toughness and his determination, his ability to just stay in somebody's face and scrap with them. And now he's got like a range kicking game where you're like, okay, that's not bad, but it doesn't feel like it's really doing any damage. And it feels like it's just sort of trying to fence your opponent off because you know now that you can't really afford to just go in there and trade hands with people. Mm-hmm. And I think Onama can force that fight on him. And he could probably even bring out some pretty bad habits in land where if yeah. he just keeps on him, he can probably break down a lot of uh, Landwehr's interest in being a ranged striker. Right. So I'm going to take Onama here. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I was kind of tempted to take Landwehr at first. Um, just, just cause the, the blush is really off the rose with Onama. Like, I, I think I was just, uh, uh, in a sway of my feelings about him right? where I was, you know, the, the, the rise and fall of expectation where I uh-huh. saw him in that loss. I made the classic mistake, like this guy lost, but Holy hell, does he have potential? Yeah. And it turns out that he, he kind of has that like ugly gritty still, you know, it just becomes less impressive each time you see it. Cause you're like, Oh, you have this fight with everyone. Yeah. Um, but you know, you can have that fight with Nate Landwehr. Like. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And 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 when it comes down to it, I just think physically, uh, he's so much more impressive than Landwehr. He's clearly very durable. He's strong. He was one of those guys who will like you're like, oh, he's gassing, and then a minute later, he looks completely fresh. Mm-hmm. He is just a great athlete, very well conditioned, and has a couple really bright spots of skill that will carry him through when he needs them. And, um, yeah, I, the, ultimately I think that's enough reason. Landwehr's just, uh, land, I, I like Landwehr's moments of craft, but otherwise he's a lot less consistent. Even if Onama's yeah. consistency is ugly, it is pretty consistent. Yeah. So o- Onama is the favorite year, opened at minus 300, got up as high as minus 199, but is currently back down at minus 291. Landwehr opened at plus 250, dropped all the way down to plus 164, it's currently back up at plus 231. I mean, I would warn against being that hyped on what Onama's doing. It is, yeah. it does feel like he is getting to a place where it is going to start working less and like. Yeah, there's a there's a feeling of him being one of those fighters who jumps into the UFC and has a bunch of success because nobody's prepared to yeah. fight him, and the more they see him, the more ready they are, the more he's performed at this level, the more people are going to start finding the the holes in his game yes. and taking taking those gaps every single time. Yeah, he's like where Michael Morales is as a prospect, mm-hmm. except that Morales is up at welterweight. Yeah. And I think that level of development just flies a lot further in the bigger, heavier, dumber division. At featherweight, it's a lot of stiff competition guys who are equally athletic and much more deeply and consistently skilled. Yep. So, so I, yeah, him, I, him being a wide favorite here doesn't sit that well with me. I, I, I agree. Landwehr can make this an absolute... If his, if his chin holds up, if he makes it out of round one, because I think he's only been ever been knocked out in the first round, and yeah. usually if guys can, you know, who have that ability to get caught cold early, often don't, you know, they, they're much better prepared as the fight goes. They've got the timing and they've got the, the mm-hmm. feel of the fight more as the fight goes. So if he just 
can survive the first round. It might be that he can just make this an absolute, the kind of attritional war that he used to win over in Russia. Exactly. Yeah. Landwehr has been in tons of brutal, violent wars. So yeah, it's not like he's not mentally prepared for a tough fight. Yeah. All right. Uh, that brings us to a um, middleweight bout. Gerald Mearshart, Bruno Silva, and uh, man, <laughs> doing it to our boy, GM3. I mean, he has so much success on the regular that, like, it's inevitable that he's going to keep getting these kinds of fights. But yeah, nonetheless, what is this kind of fight? It's not even like it takes like a massive step up or anything. It's just like a certain type of guy. <laughs> it's just a guy who has a bunch of speed and confidence and knockout power in the pocket. Even without the speed. Yeah, Bruno Silva is the speed, just, yeah. definition of heavy handed. Yeah. The dude is, he just hits like a truck. Uh-huh. Uh, the shots he, he finished like Wellington Terman with. Yeah. We're not even hard. It's just like sitting on top of his leg and like half guard. He was like, all right, I guess I'll throw some hooks. And they just <laughs> obliterated Terman's consciousness. Like, yeah. Um, he's, I mean, really in a, in a way, these guys are very philosophically uh, similar. Uh-huh. Bruno Silva is the Gerald Mearshart of striking. Yeah. Everything's going wrong. You know, your position's terrible. The opponent is getting all this momentum. Oh, you finished them. Yeah. Um, he's almost more Paul Craig of striking than Mearshart. Mearshart is honestly more process driven than that. Yeah. It's, it's an unwavering confidence in the face of, in, in the face of uh, adversity to yeah. just like, oh, no, I can still hit you really hard. I mean, even the point of like fighting Alex Pereira. And just yeah. being like, yeah, okay, you're a way better kickboxer than me, but I'll still hit you really hard several times per round, no matter uh-huh. what you do. Mm-hmm. I'm prepared for that. Yeah, and um, I mean, I don't know. I do think there is a possibility. I mean, because of that, as long as this fight is on the feet, Amir Sharp will probably actually get a decent amount of work done, unless he gets knocked out yeah. instantly. He he does have a sort of crafty. He might, he might absolutely, um, but he does have a weirdly crafty, um, very long range boxing game, and uh-huh. he he will be firing his jab. He'll he'll probably land some surprising counters. He's going to use that uh, that defense he has. That like the moment it falls apart, it does so catastrophically. Yeah, but before it falls apart, is working because at least he's moving his head. Uh-huh. Um. Albeit, you know, straight back and leaning off balance, et cetera, et cetera. But you just get the feeling that even if it goes to the ground, at some point Silva's just going to nail him. Yeah, I mean, because Mirshart, no, no matter what, he's still just not a great wrestler. He doesn't That's have the real problem. He doesn't have the speed and he doesn't have the power to be a great wrestler. So he has to wrestle through craft alone. Yeah. And if you look at all these submissions, and if you look at like the stats page, you're like, how is it that in all these submission wins, Mearshart has like one takedown per win? Yeah. He hardly takes anyone down. Yep. His his grappling is finely tuned to the idea that people will take him down because it's just the way MMA tends to work. Yeah. And the if Silva just goes out there and charges at him and puts a hook on him, mm-hmm. he's gonna find Mearshart standing pretty flat footed because he's not fast enough to really pick his feet up and move and uh he's probably gonna find his chin and i yeah i just gotta pick Bruno Silva. yeah 
Uh, Bruno Silva is the favorite here, opened at minus 200, is currently down at minus 297. GM3 opened at plus 170, jumped up to plus 220, is currently up at plus 236. All right, that brings us to a light heavyweight bout, Devin Clark, Azamat Mirzakhanov, um, or Mirzakhanov. Okay. I think Mirzakhanov works for me. Mirzakhanov. Uh, and yeah, this is a little bit like the Bruno Silva Gerald Mearshart fight for me. Devin Clark is faster. He's a better athlete. He's also less polished by far than Mearshart as a boxer. He's an absolute mess. He's an absolute mess. And he's his greatest attributes really tend to be the ability to fight really hard even when tired, to be powerful and to carry that power through absolute exhaustion. Yeah. But when he meets somebody that can just outfight him consistently for round after round after round, it doesn't tend to be a solution, you know? Yeah. Iwan Kudalaba beat him by decision. Ryan Spahn beat him by submission. Like, just guys who can hang with him physically and who don't who aren't going to break down their entire form after a round mm-hmm. tend to just have infinite opportunities to take advantage of his totally non-existent defense. Because especially, too, he knows how hard he can get hit, and he it, it made him more cautious. There's always, like, I, I mean, his dad, I think, is in his corner all the time. I think there's always this sort of turning point where his dad has to be, like, you know, he has to he has to look to and remind himself of how disappointed his father is going to be if he doesn't get back in there and fight hard. Yeah. Um. It's a very there's a very Sean Porter kind of. Uh, yeah. Feeling there, there's a strong a stronger desire to please dad than there is necessarily the wherewithal to do so. Yeah. And Mirzakhanov is, you know, he's got that Blagoy Ivanov trip where he's just one of yeah. those combat Sambo dudes who has incredible speed and timing on their punches and, yeah. like, no other part of their game at all. There's no... It, it's the Fedor thing where you're just like, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You threw, you throw like, the weirdest little corkscrew left hand but you, and you throw it leaping five feet to do it but you have it timed absolutely right. perfectly. Very common thing with combat samba guys. It's just like yeah. it's just it's just what it looks like when a guy has been doing amateur MMA forever. Mm-hmm. So you're just an MMA native. You have the timing and all the subtle little movements to set things up down. And uh, even if it, it looks awful and ugly. Yeah, and if he can do that, you know five times around every round, I think he's going to end up hurting Devin Clark pretty badly at some point. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I got to take Mirzakhanov. Yeah, I agree. If Devin Clark was like a better wrestler, or if he was a better striker, or if, if anything, um, but he's just like a really strong athlete who's nonetheless like kind of small and does, doesn't have, there's just not enough connective tissue to Devin Clark's game. I'm not sure if he had enough meat in general, except on his thighs. Like yeah. that, I mean, that fight Mirza with Kanoff is only five foot ten, so Devin yeah, yeah, Clark yeah. will have a, a noted. He'll have a couple inches of height on him, but that's a rare, <laughs> a, rare a rare thing, actually. Yeah. But yeah, he's just really like one idea at a time. Really mm-hmm. one idea at a time. 
Um, yeah, I mean, he that fight he had with William Knight. Definitely the best I've seen him. But he also, every time he wanted to land a jab, he actually had to trade jabs with yeah. William Knight every single time. Yep. And it's William Knight. If we've seen William Knight jab. It is one of the most yep. unfortunate, like, that, does that bowling ball even have an arm? How does, yeah. <laughs> you know? There's no, there's no feints. There's no footwork. There's just none of the things except step in and land the punch. Yeah. Uh, step and, in and dry the takedown, step in and grab the clinch, et cetera. And Clark couldn't avoid trading 50-50 with him every time they punched. Right. And I, if he, you know, Mirzakhanov can't avoid trading 50-50 with Devin Clark. Yep. Yep. I'm with you. So. Odds on the bout. Clark is the underdog here. Opened at plus 150, bounced up and down to plus 146, currently at plus 129. So those odds are getting closer. Mirzakhanov opened at minus 175, got all the way up to minus 145, dropped down to minus 175, and is currently up at minus 157. So those odds going up and down a little, getting shorter on Mirzakhanov, but I really think this is a good fight for him. Mm-hmm. You look at the guys that Clark's beat, William Knight, Alonzo Manafield, Daquan Townsend, Darko Stosic, Mike Rodriguez, even going all the way back to like Jake Collier and Josh Stansbury. And the thing that keeps coming up for all of them is they're either very messy or they fall apart very quickly. They fall off a cliff very quickly. Yeah. And Merzikhanov, it's, it's not clean, but it's not, you know, like it's like what we're talking about with like fate or with, with Habib and his standup where you're just like, this isn't, clean but it's not it's very pointed and he's got, it's he's got very, the feel for it i mean that's yeah uh, again especially against a dude like devin clark that is all that really matters like mm-hmm. um yeah and clark's another guy like i would love to see him reach that next level i'd love yeah. to see some tactical development um but for the moment it's like his training seems to be entirely toughness and fitness Mm-hmm. And very little skill. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a woman's flyweight bout. Nina Nunez, Cynthia Calvillo. And we already talked about this one. It's a reschedule from a couple of cards ago. Oh, yeah. And um, at least at the time, and I guess I'm willing to stick by this, we both picked Nina Nunez. Yeah. Um, just because Calvillo's headspace seems to be so bad. Yep. Yeah, and, I mean, if this is if this isn't the the performance to finally turn Calvillo back into a wrestler, I don't know what is. But yeah. At it's this just, point, can you rediscover it well enough? It's not like Nunez is. Uh, I mean, classically, again, we I think we we already had this discussion again, so yeah. I'm sure we pointed out that it's kind of difficult to trust Nina at this point. Oh yeah, yeah. She 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 had a kid, which you know, I mean, you got to get. It, it, the message wasn't great when Juliana Pena delivered it, but there is credit to be given to the idea, like you put your body through that and then try to go back and become a pro. Oh, athlete. no doubt, no doubt. It's a yeah. very difficult thing to do. Yeah, getting back into any kind of shape is a challenge, and it also just means a long time away mm-hmm. and a serious change in priorities. Yep. Um. Yeah, and and we've already seen, like, uh, granted, you you know, against a a classically aggressive opponent, 
Um, but in her only fight since that layoff against Mackenzie Dern, she was certainly very flat in that first round. Yeah. yeah. And it seems likely enough that something like that will happen again. But uh, at this point, even if Calvillo does try to play a wrestling game, it, does she have the muscle memory anymore? Like, it, it, are these going to be surprising? She was never even a tremendously good takedown artist. That's why, like, from the moment she got to the UFC, we're like, I want to see her improve her takedowns. Yeah. Because on the ground, she can be she can do some un, un, incredible things. Um, but, yeah, you, you got to pick Nina because... Calvillo, I mean, it's it's 90% certain that Calvillo is barely going to think about wrestling. And she's not threatening enough with her striking to really yeah. take advantage uh, of a flat first round from Nina. She's if not, Nunez gets to, gets to pressure forward, if Calvillo oh, does yeah. her outboxing thing where she just tries to pick apart, pick at range behind a one-two, then there's not much to stop Nunes from just marching her down. Right. Yeah. And and sort of like what you said with Devin Clark, like Cavio's got this thing where she thinks she's slick. She's she and, and she's got better ideas than Devin Clark as a striker. Yeah. But if you want to trade jabs with her, you can you can have that trade every time. Mm-hmm. And if you're taller and just a better boxer, then you're going to win most of those trades, I think. Yeah. So. Nunes is just, you know, she's got power baked into her style. Yeah, flat-footed. It's not the fastest thing in the world, but she hits hard and she she's can deliver a, consistently. She's a solid technician too. I mean, yeah, yeah, very consistent in that way. Knows her range and how to land at that range. And it's just something with Calviotes. Yeah, that bouncy, pseudo-energetic boxing style that, like, we've talked about this before, but it, you know, it's very like trained to hit pads, uh-huh. and not your opponent. Yeah, especially if you have a bad uh, a b- bad pad man who's uh, meeting your punches halfway, and then you get into yeah. the fight. You're like, wait, where's my range? Yeah, and it just That's it doesn't hurt is. anybody, you know. It was it was an unfortunate, necessary but deeply unfortunate wake up call against Jessica Andrade, where Andrade just was just like, what? Well, wait, that's what yeah. you're doing? Oh, you okay. want to change punches. Okay. You you want to just cut your, your idea to fight me is to back up and exchange punches. Okay. <laughs> okay. Great. Let's and it. then Calvillo knew, like, you could see how badly that had gotten to her in that fight with Andrea Lee. Absolutely. Well, it's a horrible thing to experience. Like, this is the yeah. thing I've been working on. I've been trying to get good in. Like, oh, if somebody's actually good at it, there's literally nothing I can do. Yeah. I, I cannot stop someone like that from just agreeing to trade shots with me and killing me. Yeah. Nunes, Nunes isn't that kind of fighter, but she's not. She's, but... she's she can definitely replicate what Andrea Lee found on Cynthia Calvillo to an extent. And, and, and again, I think it's very important here that she's going to have time to find that fight. Calvillo is just not threatening enough to, yeah. to throw Nina off her game. She's going to have time to find the way to win. And if she loses, neither of us will be surprised either. No, it's long layoff. She didn't look yeah. great her last time out. But yeah, Cavio's just, I, I, it's not, if Nunes is anything like prepared, she does not have the style to beat her. Yeah. All right. Cavio opened at minus 140. He's currently down at minus 172. Nunes opened at plus 120. He's currently up at plus 141. These odds, honestly, the odds for this fight shouldn't even exist. <laughs> really. <laughs> These these two women are both just big question marks right now. Yeah, we're going off of 
the form from Nunez that she had against like Claudia Gadelha in 2018. Yeah. And Randa Marcos. And then for Calvia, we're looking at her last couple fights and just being like, wow, I don't think she can fix that. Mm-hmm. So not a not a fight I am at all confident in. No. All right. Now we have the women's strawweight super super fight to crown the best Yasmin in <laughs> MMA. Wow. We've all wondered for years yep. who's the best Yasmin. Yasmin Jaragui or Yasmin Lucindo? Uh, I'm going to say, well, I guess, would that be an H? Is that heart? heart, heart? She's, uh, she's from Mexico. So, yeah, Haregui, yeah. something like Haregui? that. Yasmin Haregui. I think she's going to be, she should be the favorite here, pretty, pretty clearly. You watch oh, tape on these. Uh, you watch right? Usually, oh. usually in usually in Spanish it's like Saul, right? So it's probably Hauraki. Yeah. <laughs> I'm completely guessing. That makes me now I feel like I'm pronouncing some anime character or something. Hauraki. That's right. Let's let's offend all the ethnicities. <laughs> you know, why yeah. stop at once? Okay. Shotgun. That's our approach. Yes. Right. <laughs> All right. So Haruigui, um, she seems like she's got a really good idea of the kind of fight she wants to have and how to have it. Yeah. Just to just march in, march into the pocket behind her jab and throw punching combinations and then bounce out set back out and do it all over again. And just be be the kind of fighter who doesn't fall into the clinch all the time and who throws a lot of punches. And I love that. Yeah, I want that. You know, that's great. That for a fighter young in her career, still feeling out the rest of her MMA game, it's pretty ideal to just be like, you know what, I'm just gonna punch. We and like I'm not aggression. gonna I'm not gonna let myself stop punching. And uh, Lucindo seems like she's getting by on the regional scene off of being the person that can take people down from a body lock. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't have any submissions. And so she's just getting a lot, and she's fighting a lot of really poor opponents. And when she's not, she goes to decision. And the story of those fights is just. I keep being able to, my opponent keeps walking themselves into the clinch, and I keep being able to rush the clinch and take somebody down with the body lock over and over again and just get on top of them to soak up time. And I think, I think uh, Harugui can, um, you know, I think she can make, I think she can just stay out of the clinch enough to land the better punches. If she can't knock Lucindo out, it could get a little messy if they just get trapped against the cage or something like that. But I I have a lot more faith in the I'm going to sit down in front of somebody and punch them over and over again than the I can I can wrap everybody up with a clinch and trip them. Yeah. Um I don't know. I'm not quite that confident. 
I, I, I definitely have seen a, a couple instances of haurigui, um, um, you know, just sort of colliding with her opponent. She's very aggressive. Mm-hmm. And uh, her punching form is not perfect. And, like, so e- even if she's not actively throwing herself into the clinch, there are a lot of opportunities where her feet are planted where if your only yeah. approach is to reach out and grab her around the waist, then... Uh, you know, she's she's a willing dance partner for that. She's just she's just going to be there to grab. And it's true, but Lucinda um, also doesn't really keep people down that well. Yeah, very like I got you down, and you either have to be such a neophyte that you are just held right. now, right, right, or I'm going to have to get you down three more times this round to win. Yeah, and from what I've seen, um, um. Oh God, I'm so afraid that I'm getting this name just embarrassingly wrong. Mexico, Yasmin. she she retains that aggressive nature on the ground at the very least she scrambles hard yeah um which should hopefully be enough i mean at a certain level yeah just a refusal to accept the bad position can go a really long way and um if you're athletic enough it could take you all the way to the top i mean that's how a lot of fighters fight um, so yeah, I, I will take uh, Haurigui, but I um, I don't know. I, I do think she might just end up colliding whether she wants to or not. And if there turns out to be, if it turns out to be that Lucindo can just get her takedowns and and spend some time riding on top, she might bank some serious yeah. control time. Yeah, absolutely. Could it's happen. the only thing. It's the only thing she wants to do. So like, she's gonna yeah. she's gonna have opportunities to do it. Uh, Haurigui. Opened at. <laughs> it sounds more and more joke Japanese the more you say it. Would I agree? Uh huh. Yeah. How are we? Open at minus 260. It's currently up at minus 203. Lucindo opened at plus 220. It's currently down at plus 167. That's fine. I mean, this is a super, this is a super style clash fight where. Both women do one thing, and the rest of their game seems to be kind of a void. Like they don't they don't submit people, mm-hmm. they don't really grapple, they don't you know Haurigui doesn't she can wrestle a little, but there's no end game to that for her. Right. Putting somebody on the clinch doesn't accept, suddenly open her up as this great clinch fighter. Taking somebody down doesn't suddenly turn her into this ground and pound monster. And Lucindo's stand up is raw select a strike. Like I saw her hit a nice spinning back kick, but it's like, okay, I threw that. Here's an overhand. Everything is, I can't follow up on anything because everything off balances me too much. And yeah. So we really have very. Seemingly one trick pony fighters in yeah. this. So whoever's trick works is gonna Exactly, yeah. Is gonna win. Just going forward, I just know that Tawarigui is because of this is going to be uh I'm going to be thinking of her as Yasmin San. Who <laughs> has apparent as far as I can tell, nothing Japanese about her, and yet Yasmin San is how I will be thinking of her. Y- Yasmiko. Yasmiko. <laughs> That's now see, now we're we're straying into Dangerous territory. Okay, uh, that, that wraps up the uh, main. <laughs> <Yeah>. That's <laughs> that your racist fight hour for the week. 
find me on Twitter at these things. I'm you can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over at bloodyo.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast. Bloodyo presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. And as always, the MMA section is brought to you by Chris Reaney and his book, The Fine Art of Violence, which is available at chrisreaney.com, C-H-R-I-S-R-I-N-I.com. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We are also on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, The MMA Vivisection, The Level Change Podcast, The Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, and Radio Style Play-by-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow blog, and as always on BloodyElbow.com.